Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 15 of Off the Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all for downloading our show today, wherever you're listening in from. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Fantastic show on the way today with English sprinter and Com Games medalist Anna Hopkin joining us for a chat. I really enjoyed this chat, especially around her being a champion at age 12 and 13 and then giving it away due to not enjoying the sport anymore. Coming back four years later and going on to have a tremendously successful career again and a very bright future ahead indeed. I think it's a great example of not needing to push young swimmers at a young age and allowing them to enjoy themselves the way they want to and appreciate swimming the way they want to. We also go on to discuss her move to train alongside breaststroke king Adam Peaty and train under one of the best coaches in the business at the moment, Miss Mel Marshall. So clear your schedule, take a seat and relax because ep number 15 with Anna Hopkins starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Vandenhoek's hand. But the symmetry of all eyes is the great Madam Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. He's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavis in the white hats, Phelps in the black hats, and Phelps has got it. I cannot believe he's done that. Thorpe to Thorpe, Thorpe on the hall, Thorpe goes in. Australia win. Joining me today on the show is a two-time British champion. She has competed at World Champs, European Champs, and is a medalist from the 2018 Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast. She is absolutely a Team GB member to watch. Looking forward to next year's 2021 Tokyo Olympics. It's a massive welcome to Off the Block Swimming Podcast to Anna Hopkin. Anna, how are you going, mate? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Not a trouble at all. Now, listen, I, I know it's 10 p.m. here, which is fine because I've had a couple of energy drinks and I'm ready to go. But I, I do know you did a bit of um, training this morning, a bit of racing. How'd you go? Yeah, pretty good. So we've been back in the pool about nine weeks and then this is kind of our last week before we have a couple of weeks off just to reset before the Olympic season. So we've done a bit of racing this week and been pretty good. It's been short course meters and obviously not really racing anyone we're kind of you know lanes apart from each other and no official timing it's all on hand stopwatches but um from what like limited resources we have right now it's uh, it's been pretty good like not far off best times and things so it's looking quite positive now everyone was affected differently when every you know everything got shut down and into lockdown and some people had to go for runs some people had to go into their garage and make a home gym i know just talking to you then and what i saw on uh, instagram um, some of you guys were fortunate enough to get like a, a pool a little pool um you know dropped into your backyard how did you go through that time and and how did you stay active yeah so first couple weeks we kind of had a bit of downtime just to readjust to what was going on and uh, get our heads around and things. And then we, I think during that time, our coaches were putting together a full program to work remotely. And my main form of cardio was probably running, but then I think I overdid it to start with and got a little niggle in my hip. And so yeah. then I had to kind of go on to cycling instead. Um, but luckily 
as you say, we got a couple of us got these pools, like the the endless swim spa things. Um, mm-hmm. There was about eight of them given out to British swimmers, and I was lucky enough to get one. So that kind of coincided quite well with when I was starting to struggle with running quite a lot. So um, it was good to get that and get my feel back for the water. And I was still doing a bit of cycling as well and doing gym in the garden. We managed to get some bars and weights, which was really good. Um, Had like a chin up bar makeshift thing in the garden. Um, So yeah. Some creativity was needed, I think. <laughs> yeah. How'd you take the news when, um, you know, everything got pushed back, the, the Olympics got pushed back to 2021, which I think if we were all paying attention to what was going on, we could see coming a mile away anyway. But still, you know, you guys are the ones that are working hard and you would have had your eye on that prize. How did you take it when, you know, that got pushed back? Um, I think when I first kind of, no, it was when NCAAs were cancelled, which was kind of start of March. And I was still in the States at that point. And so when that got cancelled, at that point, it still felt like Olympics might go ahead. And so when that was cancelled, it almost like dawned on me that if this isn't going to go ahead, I don't think British Champs is going to go ahead and Olympics probably isn't either. And so I feel like everything kind of hit at once. Um And once NCAAs got cancelled, the priority was for me to get back to the UK just in case Olympic trials still went ahead. And so that was kind of a whirlwind of like packing up a year and a half's worth of stuff and saying goodbye to everyone and getting back to the UK and then sorting out my transition to a new training programme. So it was just like looking back now, it was a lot happened at once. (laughs) And I feel like I was in a bit of like, dreamland and really know what was happening yeah well we know now how you you know you kept your body active with all the training you did how'd you keep your mind active a lot of people you know started reading books they always said they were going to read and they never had a chance to a lot of people were doing puzzles or a lot of the boys i talked to were um you know on the playstation on the computer gaming everyone's been gaming how did you keep your mind active um well, I was still finished my, finishing my university degree um, in America. So I was doing that online. Um, I think I graduated start of May. And so that kind of kept me busy for a while. And then towards the end of May, we got like the pool back in Loughborough. But I was traveling about an hour and 10 minutes from home each day. And so I started yeah. listening to quite a lot of podcasts. Um, yeah. And those podcasts kind of directed me to some books to read. And so now I've finished my degree, I'm trying to do a bit more reading and listen to some podcasts, which isn't something I've really done much before. So quite enjoying that. It's funny you say the books. Uh, I when everything started, I got a couple of the books out of my because I do have about twelve books. I wouldn't call it a library; it's just a shelf that I have twelve books on. Um, and at least you know of the twelve, there's probably eight of them I've never read. I just thought, oh, that'd be a really good book, and I've never had time. So when everything happened, I was like, yeah, no, I've got to read these books. So I got two out, and uh, yeah, I'll be honest, I got through maybe a chapter, and that was it. <laughs> I never got back into it. So I tip my hat to you for uh, you know actually getting stuck into it and committing my issue is i start like at the minute i've got three on the go Mm. which how do you manage that well i just kind of start one and then i see another book i'm interested in i'm like oh i really want to read that so then i start that one and then i don't go back to the other one 
and then I end up having too many on the go and then so I've not actually finished one yet I just keep starting new ones <laughs> I find that same issue with podcasts though like because I, yeah. I like you um at the time I like I drive probably 40 minutes to work so I've got plenty of time for podcasts so but yeah same with you I've got about you know five or six that I try and listen to and a lot of these go for like an hour and a half so you can't always keep up and they're like oh that one's out so I really want to hear that one so I get the first 20 minutes of it so similar to you but for podcasts for me yeah it's great that there's so many available like on Spotify there's loads of free ones but it's I just don't I don't want to listen to one that I'm like, oh, that wasn't that great. And so I spend far too long trying to decide which one to watch. And then there's just too much choice. So, yeah, that's the difficulty. Well, I can give you a tip. Off the Block Swimming podcast is a pretty good one. Just, <laughs> yeah, just, I'll have to listen to this. I'm one. just saying. I'm just saying. Now, I noted recently that you had a change of program and you're now working with one of the best in the business in Mel Marshall. What brought that change about and how has it been since you've made the move? So um, I've worked with Mel a fair bit, like I was in her training group at Commonwealth Games. That was the first time I really got to know her quite well. And then um, I was in her training group again for Europeans and then for Worlds as well. And ever since I've been in the US, every time I came home for a period of time, I'd usually try and train at Loughborough with Mel. Um, And I guess it just kind of evolved over time. Like we never we never put in like a specific plan like oh you'll definitely be moving to Loughborough after America that was kind of like it was always there as a potential idea but I was never quite sure about what it was always kind of going to depend on how I was swimming and where I would be going next um but then obviously when kind of NCA's got cancelled and I came back to the UK everyone was everything was kind of fast forwarded um yeah. and obviously I had a really great relationship with my coach Neil in the US and um, I improved a lot with him but obviously there's always difficulties training in the US if you're a pro swimmer especially when Arkansas is kind of a primarily um, like college swimming team there isn't any other pros so it would just kind of be me Um, obviously I could train with them but I wouldn't be able to do the competitions they're doing and I'd be kind of doing a lot of competitions on my own so Although like, you know, Neil's a great coach, it just wouldn't feasibly wouldn't really work for me to stay out there. And so him and Mel have a great relationship and they've kind of talked a lot about my program and made sure the transition was really smooth. And so I still chat to Neil all the time. So it's kind of nice to have them both input in um, my program a little bit. Yeah, nice. Take a trip down memory lane with me for a little bit. How did swimming start for you? Where did it all um, begin? So I joined my first club at eight when I was, so I'm from kind of up north near Manchester area mm-hmm. um, and then just kind of went into it because my brother had joined a club. It was like never anything super serious and a couple of my friends joined as well. And then we kind of realized quite quickly that I was actually a fly swimmer back then. So um, my coach kind of noticed I had a knack for fly. And so then it, age 10 I think I joined a more serious squad um and just kind of took off from there really uh won my first national national medal at age 11 in the 100 fly um and I pretty much only really did 100 200 fly which looking back now like I never want to do a 200 fly again I was gonna say how'd you go with the 200 fly 
oh, it's horrible, man. I, I cried every time. <laughs> Um, and what sort of a swimmer were you in, in training? If you look back at a, a young, say, 10, 11-year-old, Anna, were you quiet? Were you at the middle of the lane? Were you at the front? Were you at the back? Were you the naughty girl that was getting in trouble? How were you when you were a youngster? Oh, I was very quiet. I was quite a shy kid. Um, and whenever my mum would watch me at training, she'd always, like, nag me at the end because I'd always just sit at the back of the lane and <laughs> let everyone else, like, take the lead. Yeah. Like, you need to be at the front like so I always hated when she came to watch me because I'd have to like be at the front because otherwise she'd be staring me down like, <laughs> um so yeah I guess I was like just kind of like to follow rather than lead but um yeah I've definitely like matured a lot since then so what about heroes do you have any idols that you looked up to um growing up anyone you aspired to be like um I don't know really like it was, it was a weird one for me swimming when I was younger because I mean I took quite a long break when I was 13 I stopped swimming um and I didn't necessarily think I was ever going to get back into it and so I guess I never really had aspirations of going to the Olympics mm. just because I didn't really think I was ever going to be good enough or I would be swimming to the point where I would be able to go to the Olympics so although I loved watching sport and loved kind of gymnastics and loved watching elite athletes i don't think i had like really kind of i don't know inspirational like role models i was like i want to be like them because mm. i didn't really think i was ever going to get to that point let's dive into that for a second what what came about at that age the 13 for you to you know sort of take a break and think oh, i don't know if this is really for me um i think i just like moved quite quickly through the squad and was moved into like the top group when I was 12 and I improved a lot at that point but it was just so intense and like my training upped a lot and it was so much harder and I think I just didn't feel like I was ready for it and um I guess I just thought it was all or nothing and so I chose nothing because <laughs> I just couldn't cope with it anymore I wanted to do other sports I didn't want I didn't know if I was ready to like fully commit to just swimming um at that point and I didn't think there was really another option so um I thought I just had to stop and then I joined loads of other sports and so I was still very athletic loved competing but just in loads of different sports how long did you break for when did you come back I came back when I was 17 the year before I went to Bath University um I did a British colleges meet when I was I guess I was 17, 16, 17, um, and I did the 50 fly, and the time I did would have qualified me for the British champs, which was like totally unexpected. Mm. And so at that point, I kind of thought, okay, I'll do a bit more training, get into competing again, see how I'm feeling. Um, I was still a bit apprehensive about taking it seriously again, just because, you know, I hadn't had the like amazing experiences when I was younger so yeah. I was still a little bit apprehensive about it but it was kind of slow and steady just doing a little bit more a little bit more and then um yeah when I went to Bath University I knew I wanted to be part of a, a sports team and swimming was kind of the thing I knew best and I was good at it so that that was kind of how that happened I guess. Said there you played some other sports during your, your break away from swimming what, what did you get amongst? Um so I did I did gymnastics quite a lot when I was younger, but I had to stop 
when I was 11, when swimming got more serious. So then I took up gymnastics again. Um, I did trampolining, cheerleading, athletics, cross country, biathlon. Um, still swam a couple of times a week because I was doing like biathlons, so uh, running and swimming. So um, I was probably busier than I was when I was swimming, but I just loved the variety of it. Mm. Well, in hindsight, it, it's, it looks like you've, you've made a great decision there and where your career's at at the moment, where it's heading to. And I think, um, you know, looking at it from afar, old school way of thinking was to, you know, work hard at that 12 and 13 years of age. And, you know, all oh, the girls can copy, you know, they can work a little bit hard around that age. That's always what people are thinking. But if we look at it now, the average age of a, a world championship final or Olympic final is around like, what, 22, 23. So really there's no need to be hounding these, yeah. these poor youngsters at a younger age. Um, and you've obviously, you know, took it upon yourself. I think you made a great decision there and you you know, went out, played some other sports and came back when you thought you were ready. And clearly you were because we're about to get into what you've gone on to do. When you did come back, though, um, we'll get to the international sort of stuff at the moment. But when you came back around that 16, 17 years of age, what sort of things did you struggle with um, in terms of, you know, things to, to, you know, improve on? Was it um, your nutrition? Was it your nerves around your, you know, your competition and having self-confidence? Was it, you know, getting things right away from the pool, like prehab type stuff, activation? Um, I think, I guess when I first got back into it, it was kind of, like you say about nerves, I didn't really feel nervous because I felt like there was no expectations, no pressure. Yeah. And so I was just enjoying surprising people because I was surprising myself as well. Yeah. Like I wasn't expecting to, you know, be that great at it. And I kind of stuck to the 50 fly and the 53 because I'd obviously previously been a fly swimmer. Um, and so I started off with the 50 fly because there's no way I was going to do a hundred or 200 at that point. I hadn't, you know, didn't have the fitness for that. Um, and so then I was like, I'll do 53 as well. I can probably do that. Um, and then figured out I was actually much better at the 53 than I was at the 50 fly. And so that's kind of how that progressed. But I think the hardest bit was probably building up to do the 100 free um because initially when I first started I was very happy just to do the 50 fly and the 50 free like that was completely fine by me I love the sprint sprint training like so much fun um but obviously building up to that 100 is you know you do have to put in more hours and harder training and um that was quite a difficult transition but it was obviously the right decision. Like I knew if I wanted to make it on teams and start to make relays and things, the hundred was obviously going to be the thing I needed to be good at. So, um, yeah, that was quite difficult, but, uh, obviously, obviously paid off eventually. It took a little while. Yeah. In 2017, you won the 50 freestyle at, uh, your British, um, championships bettering the previous year. I think in 2016, I think you got a silver if my, um, yeah. if my research is, is correct. How big of a meet was that for you? I mean, that's your first national title and you'd had a break and you'd not long been back only a few years, I'm assuming at that point, and you got a national title. How sort of confidence building was that for you? Yeah, that, that was a very big deal for me because I knew, I mean, obviously Fran Halsall had won in um, 2016 and then she retired. So it was, I saw it as like my opportunity to kind of stamp my name as like the next female sprinter. Mm. Um, and so it was quite a big deal for me to try and win that. But 
it's a bit weird like I, I feel like every time I've succeeded in something like when I won that title I kind of had the mentality of like you know if this is the best it's going to get like that's fine by me because this is so much better than I ever thought I was going to be mm. or get like I never thought I'd win a British title yeah um and it's only recently that I'm starting to turn that mentality to be like actually I can get somewhere with this and you know I'm putting the work in I deserve to to get the success I am rather than just like how did that happen like that's kind of a bit crazy so um I feel like looking back now it was just I can't quite believe how quickly I managed to um get those successes but at the time it was kind of I was just like I don't know it just all seemed to progress quite quickly I didn't really know how to like where I was going to go next or what was going to happen you were just sort of going with the flow. You weren't sort of forcing yeah. anything. You were just seeing where, you know, where the wind blew you. And every opportunity was kind of like amazing and just took it with both hands and loved it. And I think that's kind of how I've managed to just keep enjoying the sport the way I have and like loving training, loving competing, like not feeling like I'm weighed down with pressure and expectation um, and just like enjoying every second of it. Speaking of opportunities, uh, talk to me about the decision to head over to University of Arkansas and how much did you enjoy college racing? I have quite a few uh, Australian age group swimmers that listen to the podcast and um, quite a few of them at the moment are heading over next year. They've, they've accepted to go to, I think, some of them, Arizona and some Florida state. So there's, there's definitely um, swimmers out there. Talk to me first, yeah, about the decision and then a second to that, how much did you enjoy it? Yeah, so I think the way my swimming career has gone since I got back into it has just been so unplanned and just whenever an opportunity came my way, I would just take it because, um, you know, you never know what's going to happen. It could pay off and I really had nothing to lose. So um, 2017, when I did win British Champs, I was swimming at Ealing in London because I was on placement year from uh, the University of Bath. And so... I was at Ealing and the coach in America knew one of the coaches in Ealing. So I always have this weird thing, like it was meant to be because, you know, I managed to get a placement in London and I ended up training at Ealing and then that's how the American connection happened. So um, it's kind of like, oh, I was meant to end up in America eventually. So um, Neil, the coach in America, kind of contacted my coach at Ealing and came and watched me swim and he kind of, just told me a bit about I really had no idea about the system over there and Neil is an ex-British Olympian so it was quite nice for me to have someone that knew the situation I was in and what competitions were important to me and obviously I had to come back to Britain to do certain competitions and what was expected of me so he was fully aware of that and he was fully aware that my main goal was obviously long course season Um, still wanted to swim well short course yards but uh, he wasn't ever going to kind of uh, compromise long course season. So I went out to visit Arkansas and kind of loved it, loved the facilities, loved the people I was training with. And I didn't really look elsewhere because I thought, you know, if everything's good here, why would I, you know, what's the point in trying to find something better when I'm perfectly happy with what I have here? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it all, it all happened pretty quickly, really. And then, I guess because originally when I first started swimming, didn't think I'd be going beyond 2018 when I'd graduate from Bath. And so to have the opportunity to go straight from Bath to the US to train there, which would then take me to 2020, 
just seemed like the perfect kind of solution. So yeah, it worked pretty well. And you enjoyed the, the college racing over there? Yeah, I think that's what really sort of progressed my career was just constant racing and opportunities for racing because I'd obviously been back in competition a couple of years by that point, but for me, just having so much exposure to competition and being against some really high quality swimmers, even around, like we went up against Stanford um, last year mm-hmm. and, you know, we'd had a hard week of training. We were tired. We traveled to California and um, not necessarily best conditions for racing, but you're against a hard team and you just have to win. So mm-hmm. um, it's just being in those situations where you're not in the position in the position where you're going to swim fast but you somehow manage to pull something out and um sometimes in britain we maybe race once a month and you can kind of go slow in the heats because you don't have much competition and then just kind of pull it out in the final whereas in america you can't do that you have to swim fast every every round to get through and so i think that has been a big bonus for me it's also very team orientated isn't it everything's around the team and um you know the the chanting and all that sort of stuff and they're, they're so you know passionate about the team which i do love myself because you know even though it is an individual sport um the thing i love about coaching is being a part of that team did you enjoy that as well yeah it's so funny being a part of that coming from britain because that's just like not us at all <laughs> yeah. um and having these like chants and cheers and like tap like tattoos on your face of like a hog or whatever <laughs> um and like the atmosphere at secs or ncas is just insane it's like nothing you really experience it is like being at a major international meet like the the size of the crowd and the the noise and so to have that experience just like in america is quite eye-opening really because at British competitions you're kind of swimming more for yourself because you don't really do relays so much um the crowd is generally you know not massive and it's not like it's really loud or anything so I think to have that experience on a regular basis was pretty important for me Talk to him about your coach over there, Neil Harper. How did he help you? What sort of things did you learn? And obviously you progressed uh, a long way under his tutelage. So, you know, what, what made that sort of partnership work so well, do you think? Um, I think he'd watched me swim and he had this checklist that it was quite long of all the things I had to improve on. So um, I think as far as he was concerned, he could see a lot of potential, but for how I swam and technically how I was, he was kind of, you know, you can do these times not swimming that great. So what can we do if we improve all these little bits? Um, And I guess because since I'd taken the time off and come back into swimming, when I first did a 53, I just kind of swam as fast as I could from one end to the other, like no, not really thinking about technique, breathing pattern, anything. and that's kind of how I just went for the next couple of years, just finding my technique as I went along. And so it obviously got to a point where it was, it was good, but there was so much more technically that I could work on. So um, a lot of things around like lengthening my stroke and breathing pattern, um, underwater's turns 
were just things that we worked a lot on. Um, and I think out there you have so much support, which um, just like 24 seven. And so that's something I wasn't used to really. And even things like nutrition, the nutrition centers open like three meals a day, you've got everything you need and just having everything easily accessible just made the whole thing just like my life was just swimming and it was great and I loved it and everything was just so easy. Give us a little insight into, I wouldn't say so much a race plan for a 50 freestyle, but what, what are you thinking about when you, you know, behind the blocks and when I say take your marks, away you go, is it as simple as just get your head down and you're going as hard as you can, or is there a little bit of a thought process behind it and you've got to keep length in your stroke, you've got to make sure you get your underwater, you know, breathing, what, what do you think about in a 50? Yeah, I think it's almost important not to not to overthink it because it sounds so weird but on a 50 like if you if you try too hard you just tighten up and you just spin and you don't catch any water and that's something I've only really got to grips with the last few years um I would like try so hard to get to the end see the time and I'd be like I don't understand why that wasn't faster (laughs) yeah yeah. Um, and so now I try to almost not have that mindset of just like try as hard as you can and just I guess the main thing I focus on is kind of getting my dive right and using my underwaters and breakout. And I guess in my head, if that all, if that is all good, like if I have the acceleration underwater into the breakout, then the rest of the length is going to be pretty seamless. I don't know why that is my mindset, but that just helps me because I don't think about the end point or the race as a whole I just think about like the start and once I'm going I'll be fine um but yeah like as you say lengthening your stroke is like one of the main things I've been working on so kind of towards the end of the 50 when you start to lose your rate um trying to keep your rate high but not losing the catch so keeping your stroke long is probably what I'm thinking about really so yeah, just ticking the boxes and something that I know a lot of coaches out there will say, so it's not just me to my swimmers, but being more process orientated rather than thinking about the outcome. Yeah. And that's a big thing, British swimming kind of push. Obviously you don't want to just go into a race thinking I want to go this time and not think about how you're going to get to it. And so just kind of not worrying about the end point and just thinking about your processes and the things you can control, you're more likely to actually have a good race. Mm. Now, obviously being a sprinter, usually uh, around this time, I would ask certain swimmers, what are, you know, the toughest sets they've done, this sort of stuff. But obviously, you know, sprinters, you know, they've got their favorite sets, the, the ones that you enjoy to do, not necessarily always the toughest, you know, the 10 twos and all these sort of things. You've got certain sets that you would love. What are your favorite sessions for the week? Um, I definitely like doing like corded stuff, um, like assisted pull-ins and I do quite a lot of resisted like paddles and sponge work. Um, cause that kind of forces me to lengthen out my stroke a bit more. Um, I do like suiting up and doing kind of multiple 25s. Um, we did a set the other week and I was kind of mixing up some from a dive, some from a push, some kicks, some fins. Um, and I just like having that variety. Like you're always trying to go max speed, but you've got that variety and it's always just like, I don't know, keeping your focus and yeah, I guess those, I mean, it's always like anything over 25 is like 
does get pretty hard. (laughs) (laughs) I get what you mean though. More variety. It's not so mundane and it's up and you turn and you're up and you turn. You've got to still keep in focus at least with the, you know, the sort of session you just talked about, there's a lot of chopping and changing. So it definitely keeps the mind active. Um, Mm -hmm. 2018 Com Games on the Gold Coast. And before I get to the, the swimming part of it, how much did you enjoy the Gold Coast and the atmosphere at those games? Oh, it was amazing. It's still like my favorite memory of my life, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. Got a did tattoo you... to commemorate it. Oh, did you? Oh, very oh, nice. Hang on, hang I on. Look- I'm going to, you keep talking because I'm talking too much and my face was on the camera while you were showing the, the tattoo. So you go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So I got like the logo of Gold Coast and then put a lion's face and made the logo into the main because um, obviously like the English lion and then the logo because I, I just see Commonwealth Games as like my first kind of big team like mm. breakthrough kind of into senior swimming and so and obviously being on the Gold Coast like beautiful place like the pool was amazing crowds were amazing and it was just overall just the best time. Did you get a chance to hang around afterwards and enjoy yourself? Was it, or was it just get in, do the work, and then you had to get out? No, I had about five days, I think. Um, so, yeah, kind of enjoyed Surfers Paradise and went to the beach. And um, my parents were out there, so kind of got to enjoy that with them too. So that was really nice. Very nice. Talk to me about the racing at those games. How do you look back at, at the results? Um, I think... Like the times I did weren't far off my best, but I didn't feel like I got that. You know, you want to do your best time of the year at the major meet. And I felt like I didn't quite hit the times I wanted to, but I was still kind of getting to grips with being in such a big arena and big crowds. And um, so I was happy and I did a really good, split on the relay which we won the medal in so that was kind of you know I I was really chuffed with that and I guess going from that time into the individual I thought I was going to do better than I did but I think maybe I just got in my head a little bit and um tried a little bit too hard like I say it's kind of important to relax into the sprint event so I think I just like spun too hard and was just like forcing it and um but I mean, it didn't really take away from the amazing experience because I still made finals and that was kind of my first like international finals. So that was kind of an amazing experience. Glad you mentioned the relay because the next question was about it. Bronze with the girls in the four by one. Must have been nice to share that experience with the team. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's a weird one actually because they didn't have heats for the female relays. Um and because we had five girls on our team that could potentially be part of the relay, we had to do a time trial instead, just as I think Australia did as well with their girls. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it was just us like English girls racing each other. And that almost felt like the most important race of the competition because it was who was going to get on that relay where we were more than likely going to get a medal. Um, and it was just a time trial. So like everyone was kind of leaving the stands and the timing boards were off and it started raining. Um, <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> my first race of the Commonwealth Games was just like in the rain, no crowds, no timing, but it almost seemed like the most important one because mm. obviously I really wanted to get on the relay final. So that was quite strange. But um, once I like got through that, got onto the final, I just knew that there was nothing to lose because, you know, we could definitely win, win a medal and 
um yeah was just having fun really with them did you enjoy racing the aussie girls on the gold coast yeah they were so fast <laughs> that was like my first time i'd ever raced um like kate and bronte and it was just I think, yeah, I was so far behind them at that point. <laughs> but, um, it was an amazing experience to race them because, I mean, they, they just seem like so far up there. Um, you know, I'm slowly clawing my way towards them. <laughs> well, you know, keeping in, in that theme of, you know, continuing on and moving forward, 2019 World Champs in, in Guangzhou. This was your first, I don't want to say first major meet because obviously Com Games was such a big meet for you, but this is, World Champs is another step up. How did you handle that? And how different was it compared to, say, Com Games or European Championships? Um, it was just a much bigger deal. Um, like, I never I never thought I would get... Obviously, there's Commonwealth Games and Europeans and World Unis, but I never thought I would be able to make that shift up to, like, World Champs, Olympics. Um, and so that first year in the US was really big for me because I was improving quite quickly. And so initially I was kind of like, okay, I'll like go for world unis again because, um, you know, that's the level I'm at, but kind of quickly really realized throughout that year that, you know, I was improving quickly and actually I had a really good shot at making the team. So, um, kind of going into world trials was quite nerve wracking because I knew that, you know it was a really big opportunity for me to try and make that team and so um actually getting on the team was such i don't know it's like probably one of the best days like i've had in swimming was just like getting that news that i was on the team and i think leading up to british trials that year i'd had quite a lot of back-to-back meets like i'd had secs then three weeks, then NCAAs, then three weeks, and then British trials. And obviously my focus was the world trials and making the team, but it does catch up to you. And so I did swim really well there and obviously made the team, but I kind of knew that there was more there and I had a lot of confidence from that. And so the whole summer from world trials leading up, I was swimming really well. We were doing um, – kind of like men Ostrom meets and I was swimming really well there. And so I think I was just like building up confidence really. And when it got to Worlds, I did some like um, broken swims kind of a few days before and they went really well. And so when I actually came to racing, it was weird. Like I've never experienced, I was obviously nervous, but I wasn't, I just felt comfortable in the arena, which was yeah. a really weird feeling. Because every other international meet I'd been to, I just felt so scared. And I actually felt like, you know, I could actually do a good swim there and like kind of stand up and swim well. So that was actually a, a nice feeling for once. How do you look back on your results from there? Um, I was definitely disappointed with the semi-final of the 100 not to make the final. Because obviously I swam so well in the heat. And... I guess there's so much like expectation then. And so in the semi-final, I just like, I focused too much on what's going on around me. Mm. I had Simone next to me and I thought going out with her was like, you know, good. Um, but it turned out she'd actually done quite a slow first 50. And so then I was kind of quite a way behind where I should have been. And then I just couldn't bring it back. And so I guess it's taught me to just ignore everything around me so in my own race. Because um, in the heat, I'd had an empty lane next to me. Mm. And so I think that really helped me just blank out everything else. Um, 
but then on the 50 I definitely learned a lot from the 100 um, and kind of I just really wanted to make that final and weirdly I had a lot of confidence from the 100 because I knew although the semi-final wasn't amazing I knew that it was in me to do a really good race so yeah, um, yeah I, I was really really happy just to make that final that was such a big deal for me did you learn obviously those lessons so you know looking forward now to 2021 and that sort of stuff in terms of for the younger listeners you know listening in today you know to to race your own race and I don't think you're alone there there's been quite a few people have had on the podcast so I'll I'll give you the, the quick story of Eamon Sullivan who I spoke to the other day and we can go back to Beijing and he, he broke the world record in uh, the leadoff swim for the for the relay. He went 47-2-4. And then uh, in the heats, uh, sorry, semi-final swim, Alain Bernard went 47-2-0. Um, fast track to the next semi-final. Eamon came out and went 47-0-5, broke the world record again. So I said to him, you know, what was going so right for you? And he said, I just swam my own race. I enjoyed it. It actually felt so easy. He said, I didn't even feel like I was breaking a world record. It, it felt so easy. I said, what happened then in the final? And he said, well, I raced Elaine Bernard's race. I was very cautious of where he was and what he was doing. And I based it off that. And then in the end, I mean, it did come down to a, a touch. It was so close, but still he does look back and say, I, you know, I should have just stuck to my, my own race plan. Yeah, it's so hard, especially like for me when I've not really raced some of these girls before. And so when I look over and see Simone and I'm with her, I'm like, I'm going way too fast. Like, <laughs> yeah, she should be ahead of me. But you, I just need to trust in what I'm doing and not worry about where anyone else is. Because obviously, in the end, she'd actually done pretty slow first fifty and then brought it back. And that's not the way I swim it. I swim, I go out pretty hard and you know try and hang on. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, I just I've definitely learned a lot, and it it's helpful for me. Like obviously, going into next year, I've. I know not to do that now, so hopefully I won't make that same mistake again. Mate, let's get away from swimming for a little bit. What do you get up to when you're not going up and down the pool? What does Anna Hopkin like to do to get her mind off swimming? Um, I mean, I guess I watch quite a lot of Netflix. <laughs> um, I don't know. I like going to coffee shops, mm -hmm. going out for like brunch. Um, I don't know, shopping, just the usual, really. Anything like normal life, seeing friends. Um, I wouldn't say I have like a particular other hobby yeah. that I do, but just anything to kind of feel like a normal person, I guess. I don't know if we got into this before, but I know you went to university. What are you studying at university? So in terms of, and I know you've got a long swimming career ahead of you. And I think given the way we're talking, I only think, you know, the better things are still to come for you, no doubt. When, when that does finish up and you're looking at a career, what are you studying and where do you think that's going to take you? Um, so I did exercise science undergrad at Bath and then I did exercise science masters in America and I guess I'm still not 100% sure what I want to do with it but it's kind of peace of mind to know that you know I have those qualifications now um, I can kind of park them for a little bit while I you know focus on being an athlete mm. and then but it's always there for me to go back to Um I guess I'm starting to think maybe some sort of like health consultancy kind of thing, like helping people change certain behaviors to be more healthy or, um, you know, 
quit smoking, drink less, exercise more, mm-hmm. eat more healthy. I think obviously there's a big push for a lot of that around the world, but it's not just a doctor telling you you need to lose weight or something like that doesn't work. You need a more kind of person to person approach and kind of help guide someone through that journey. So that's kind of what pings to mind is what would interest me, but I don't really know what that looks like as an actual job. Kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I'll stay in touch with you, mate, because I definitely need some help myself. I can't help it. Macca's calls me. It's like in my brain as I drive past, I think I've got to stop at Macca's. I can hear it. So we, I might have to stay in touch and, and take you up on uh, on your uh, new venture down the track. Now, without a doubt, you know, Team GB is in a pretty good place at the moment, and certainly from an outsider's perspective looking in. But, you know, you've got a pretty good view yourself because you're right in it. You're involved in it. How exciting is it, you know, looking forward, say, a year to, to Tokyo for the Great Britain team, given the wealth of talent at the moment? And fingers crossed, you know, Tokyo goes ahead. But certainly you guys look in a pretty um, positive position. Yeah, I think it's a real, like, we're looking really good at the minute. And there's a lot of younger guys coming through who probably wouldn't have been ready for this year, but potentially this extra year is actually a real benefit for them. And I see it as a benefit for me as well, because I am still, I've been improving last year and I think I've still got a long way to go. So having that extra year was probably quite a big bonus for me. And I think most of the people I'm training with in Mel's group see it that way as well. So we're all kind of fully on board. We're like, we all want the same goal. And I think that's so important to have a training group that is in that, that we're all in this together. We're all going to the same thing. And I think next year is going to be really exciting for Britain because there is, there's going to be so much new. I think this like having another year is going to really spark some other people to be like, well, I have a year to like, I could get there. Mm. And I think a lot of people are going to start coming through and we might, it might start to strengthen some of our relays, which I think um, would be a really big bonus for us. So like training in Mel's group, I mean, we haven't mentioned it, uh, not when they've skated around it, I just haven't mentioned it, but obviously Adam Peaty is in that group. What's it like training, uh, you know, alongside, I oh, know you're not, not doing breaststroke, so I'm not saying you're racing him, but clearly he is not just, uh, you know, Britain's best. He is one of the world's best. He's one of the best ever. What's it like to be in a training pool with him? Uh, it's, it's very amazing because he is so competitive. Like he races the guys when they're doing like aerobic sets like he just always wants to win whether it's his event or not and so um and it kind of makes you i guess it makes you like that as well like yeah. you want to be here as well because it's pretty cool to be him um and so like the other day we were both doing back end pace obviously i was doing freestyle he was doing breaststrokes and mel set him off and then set me off two seconds later and so we're obviously not doing the same stroke but it's someone to try and catch and mm you know, we're all competitive. We wouldn't swim if we're not. So it's kind of, even though we're not in the same event, there's always people to race and you can kind of make any situation into a race. And I think that's his mentality. So um, definitely ribbing off on me. Have you seen him do anything in training that you just shook your head and were like, what, how did he just do that? For a sprinter, he has an insane like aerobic capacity, uh, which I'm always amazed by. Like, I'll, If we're doing a set of kind of, um, like 650s max or something like I die off on number three probably yeah. he can somehow manage to maintain it for all six and so I think that's a lot of what his base was with Mel when he was younger and so 
hopefully that's something that I can definitely build up with now as well. Well, absolutely, mate. He's an absolute legend and you're well on your way. Um, talk to me about um, some of these questions I like to finish with are just less uh, serious, just um, rapid fire. And I think it gives us a better indication of what, um, what you like at home, mate, what you like to watch, what you like to listen to. Just a, a lot more cruisy, chilled question. So we'll start with what's your favorite music? What do you like to listen to? Probably like electronic y dancey music, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Nice. What about favorite movies? Um definitely comedies, but kind of like dark comedies. Yeah. Um you know, like Cruel Intentions. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. One of my favorites. So do you are you do you prefer American comedies or UK? Um, a bit of both, probably. I'm not, yeah. I don't really have a preference. I'd say okay. I'm not like totally like, oh, it has to be Britain because I'm so patriotic. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. What about favorite meals? There's no doubt that swimmers like to eat. They need the fuel. They need to fuel their bodies. What do you like to eat? I'm really into Thai lately and sushi. Yeah. Um, I only really tried sushi when I was in America and now I'm like obsessed with it. So that's kind of. Number one at the minute. All different sushis. Like I particularly like I'll really only eat it because it is in trend to eat sushi. So if you're with your mates and they're like, Oh, you want sushi? I'm like, I'll have chicken if they have chicken sushi, because then I could kind of uh justify it in my head because I love chicken. Do you eat other are you, are you more adventurous than me? I'm I guess I'm asking. Um I think I've got more adventurous. Like they would have a sushi night in the nutrition center in America, and so they would have all these choices. And so I would just try and like try all the different ones. I started off pretty safe with like, you know, Philadelphia roll and then start to get a bit more adventurous when they've got, I don't even know what they're called. They just like have all the like onions and sauce and stuff on top yeah. and the like, avocado and all that just like looks really cool. Um, and I've kind of, I've not really found any that I don't like yet. So I'm just trying anything. <laughs> what about favorite countries to visit? You visited a few. Where, what are your favorite ones? Um, Australia is definitely up there um, and then also I went to Budapest that was amazing so I guess hungry um, and then probably like Croatia yeah. or like Greece you know somewhere hot and beachy yeah it would be nice in the summer I've never been I've been to Europe in the summer I've been to Spain and Portugal and, and Italy but I could imagine like Croatia would be really nice as yeah. well yeah anywhere like because they have island like all the islands that you can like kind of boat hop to and I kind of like that, just moving from one place to the other. I'd love to boat up to any place. I'm just not rich enough to get on one. I always look at them and just be so jealous, just sitting on their yachts, living the dream. If only. <laughs> if only, exactly. You mentioned Netflix. What are your favourite uh, shows to binge watch? Um, I've just finished Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which was very funny. Um, yeah. It's Creek. That was really good. Uh what else have we been watching? Um, I've just started Community, which is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going through all those, like, your typical American kind of comedies, I think. Yeah. I was talking to uh, Aussie swimmer Kim Melverton the other day, and she was saying, uh, mentioned about Netflix, what does she watch? And she said, at the moment, do you know what's funny? She said, I've watched so much that I actually get on Netflix, I start flicking through, I spend 15 minutes looking through to find something. I end up going, oh, 
I'll just click on that something that she's already watched. And then she said, I find myself scrolling through my phone on TikTok anyway, not really watching what I just spent 15 minutes to, to find. Are you the same? Um, I think if I'm watching something like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or Community where there's like loads of episodes and you can just kind of switch it on, it doesn't take too much brain power, I will like kind of half watch it, half do yeah. something else. But then if I put a lot of time into picking out a film or a documentary or something, then I make sure I have to be in the mood to like decide I'm going to watch a film or a documentary because I actually want to pay attention to it. Mm. And then there's obviously Netflix dramas like like Ozark or Dark or, you know, which are quite confusing and you actually have to pay attention to. Yeah. And so if I'm watching one of them, I'll watch like one or two episodes and then I'm like, okay, like I need a mental break. I'm going to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine for a bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Next. Those sort of shows don't fly with me anymore because I've got a almost two-year-old daughter. So there are times where I'm like, okay, I'm going to really focus in on this. I've got to pay attention because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. So for me to like get those super intelligent shows, I've got to really pay attention. And uh, yeah, it doesn't work because she'll either grab the remote and change the channel or she'll be screaming or she'll throw something or she'll be hungry. So I, I, I don't get to watch them anymore. Yeah. And you can't miss a single second of it because like, the whole thing changes. That's right. That's what I say. I try to explain to her, but she just <laughs> speaks back in a language I don't understand. I think I'm just fighting a losing battle. Um, what about favorite quotes? Um, if you, you've been around a few coaches now, do, do any of them have any quotes that they've given you that sort of stuck with you? Um, Neil always used to write quotes on the bottom of all our sessions. Um, None of them really spring to mind. Um, there's one that's like, um, uh, let me see. I really like right here. You've got it? Yeah. Yeah, it's all right. Go for it. Um, the ability to express your authentic self in all situations and conditions. I like, like it. So being true to yourself, whatever you're doing, and not letting someone else kind of change your process or your goals or like what you're doing um which yeah quite like that one because i am sometimes like affected by other people and what they're doing so mm. it's important for me to kind of you know pardon the pun stay in my lane and yeah my- <laughs> hey well said there you didn't that's not pardon the pun you planned that you <laughs> you were right on to that one um hey, i like to do something with my um my uk guests that's a little bit different to everyone else and i like to uh just test your your slang aussie slang sorry knowledge so what i'm going to do is i'm going to give you a sentence um and i'm going to obviously use the slang terms and i want you to tell me what you think it means but as i said to you before we started i'll look after you so i'll I'll kind of lead you to the answer and and we'll see how we go um if i was cracking open a cold one tonight what would i be doing opening a beer yes yes if i was having brekkie what would i be having breakfast yes perfect now some of these correct me if like do you guys use these terminologies yeah we use both we kind of had a i don't know if that cracking open a cold one was like a meme or something it's like cracking open a cold one with the lads and that's become like a running joke within my friendship group yeah so, <laughs> well, there you <laughs> go uh what if i was devo devastated yeah 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 did you guys use that too i think that's a very essex term um, well, listen, just so you know, we've claimed these terms as our own. So you guys have stolen them, just so you know. 
I don't use it. But <laughs> what if I was if I was chucking a sickie? Throwing up? No, I'm gonna have a sick day off work. So uh, yeah, quite often that's very Aussie to chuck a sickie, especially on a Friday when it, to give yourself a long weekend. Um, keeping with the chucking term, if I was chucking a Yui, but I'll lead you to it. If I was driving and I was chucking a Yui. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think I use that term, like taking a U-turn. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And finally, and I know you guys use a different term, but you're going to know it. If I was going to Macca's. McDonald's. Mackies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think uh, Hannah Miley said Mickey D's. Oh, yeah. Mackie D's or Mackie's, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, there you go. But, yeah, look, in my research, I'm, I'm re- reliably told those are all Aussie slang terms. So I, I think um, you guys are all stealing them. Just I'm putting that out there. Um, <laughs> or we've stolen them and just said they're ours. Um, Either, either. I didn't write the website. Um, when we redo this interview in two years' time and I get you on for another chat, mate, what would you like me to be adding to the, to the intro about you? It was already pretty good. You've Com Games medalist. You've been to European champs, world champs. What would you like me to add? Olympic medalist would be nice. <laughs> yeah. Be the, the ultimate, I guess. Yeah. Mate, there's nothing better than that. I think you've set the bar right where it needs to be. Um, and I think that's a perfect chance to, to wrap it up. And I thank you very much for agreeing to come on. Uh, as you mentioned, you're back into training now and you literally come from training for this interview. So I definitely appreciate you taking the time to, to come on. Good luck over the next 12 months, mate, with you know, your training and building your fitness back and getting ready to rumble for, for 2021 in Tokyo. Uh, a 20. Yeah, no, I got it right. I thought I said 2020. Never mind. It's getting late here and my mind is starting to <laughs> my mind is starting to uh, play tricks on me. Um, definitely though, Anna, I, I definitely think you're a star for people to watch. And certainly if you're a, if you're an Aussie listener, if you're a New Zealand listener and, and um, you're not quite around Anna Hopkin, do yourself a favor. Make sure you follow her career because I like to be I like to be the on the ones that I, I predict to do very well because I, I'm a big fan of the I told you so's. I don't know if you love that yeah. sort of stuff, but I love saying Anna Hopkins going to kill it, and then when people go, yeah, actually she did kill it. So get around her. Make sure you follow her. Follow her on Instagram. Follow her on that's how I talk to her anyway on Instagram. But until we chat again, thank you very much for coming on Off the Block Swing Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great to chat. Today's episode of Off the Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you by our good friends at Pro Swim Workouts. Tomorrow on the show, Gold Coast and Australian Distance star and Com Games medalist Kia Melverton will be joining us for a chat, so make sure you do not miss it. Until then, though, guys, stay positive, stay healthy, and it's bye for now. Just a